welcome to another episode of At Home With Leaders, the series that is part of the Leaders Performance Podcast. Its aim is to unearth stories and insights from the top people within high performance sport and what they are doing now as sport returns to our lives and edges back to some sort of new normality. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute. I'd like to say hello again to all the returning listeners and a big welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you with us. In a moment, we'll be diving into a conversation with Gregor Townsend, discussing the evolving role of the coach, bouncing back from a loss and player ownership, amongst other topics. These sorts of topics are on the minds of our members across our network in a number of sports and a number of countries. Our virtual roundtables give our members the opportunity to discuss challenges and topics just like these with members all around the world. If you'd like to find out more about our events, content, virtual learning and networking by becoming a member of our unrivaled network of the world's high performance community, that challenges thinking and shares insights spanning all sports and all aspects of performance, then please visit leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. Now on today's episode, as always, it's a joy to have top sports psychologists, my co-host alongside me, it's Michael Colefield. How are you this morning, Michael? I'm particularly well, thank you, Matt. Why is that? Yeah, I, I think that I, I've had a few weeks in a cricket bubble, which was an experience I shan't forget because it taught me so much about everything, including teams and sport. Uh, I'm going back to, as I keep saying, I'm going back out there next week. I'm back to cricket, hopefully, and back to football, hopefully. So it's slowly coming back. And as I keep saying to you, I think sport matters for health reasons, not just physical health. Uh, and it remains the most important of the unimportant things. So I hope it can keep moving the right direction, both playing and eventually watching, because I do think it matters. Absolutely. We're edging closer. Well, our guest today is someone who I and we have known for a while at Leaders for a number of years and always enjoy talking to. It's head coach of Scotland Rugby. It's Gregor Townsend. Good afternoon, Gregor. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Good afternoon, guys. Whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in the Scottish borders. Um, for people that don't know Scotland that well, it's directly south of Edinburgh, in between Edinburgh and Newcastle. So Lovely. Not far from where I, where I grew up as a boy. Lovely yeah, part of the world. You you said just before we came on air that you know, Scottish rugby is returning this weekend. Obviously, the English game returned last weekend. Must be excited. Yes, it, it is. I think watching... Some of our players played the weekend for clubs in England, felt like the rugby is back. And this weekend, our two professional teams, Edinburgh Glasgow, play each other at Murrayfield Stadium. So it will definitely be back once that, that game kicks off. Brilliant. Well, hopefully you can sneak into Murrayfield. Now, now, we ask every guest this, and I think it's still appropriate and interesting to do so. But how do you reflect on your time in the lockdown period? Has it taught you anything? Has it made you more aware or appreciate anything more? How do you look back on it? Well, I find it difficult saying it was an enjoyable experience, but it, I felt it was. Was. First of all, to spend more time with the family. My oldest was he just finishing his final year of school, so obviously less opportunities to spend time with him in the future. So that that was great. I think the opportunity to look after your, your physical and mental health. What was good when we're living down the borders here with lots of countryside and dog walks to go on. And there was time to do things, time to do things around the house, time to do things with the family, and also time to do things with work. I really thought it was an opportunity to learn, a unique opportunity that you could connect with people in, in rugby and in sport and other domains um, who were suddenly available as well during that time. So, no, I, I, I felt that um, it was a period that could have been really testing, um, and it was testing for a number of people, but we enjoyed it as a family. And by the end of it, couldn't wait to get out of it and um, <laughs> start to do the, the work again. But um, no, all, all was good up here. And Greg, I did have the opportunity of speaking to you, um, which you kindly invited me to do so during that 
period. And can I ask you now, from a, almost from a coaching perspective specifically, what have you taken out of, of the last four to five months, the gap in training and playing because you couldn't be with your players? And have there been any nice hidden surprises in that time? Michael, you touched it in, uh, in the introduction there. I think just the appreciation of being involved in sport. First of all, when it, was, it wasn't it was there anymore. And I'm, I'm a big sports fan, so not being able to watch the Open, Wimbledon, obviously rugby that was on. We were supposed to be in South Africa for two games and then go to New Zealand. Uh, it would have been uh, the most challenging but most brilliant tour I think any Scotland player would have been on. So you really really appreciate when things are, are not there, but also when they've, they've slowly came back. The love you have for your own sport other sports that that was that was specific that they, they were in a great job and um we can't wait to do that more there, there was other things like new ways to connect i wasn't a big conference caller or facetime or whatsapp um video user but suddenly now i've got them all zoom skype teams and getting used to using them to connect with staff with family with friends and with, with our players this will be a format that we'll, we'll use in the future and actually two weeks ago we had a with a squad gathering via zoom which had 110 players on the on the call. Mm. At normal times, you couldn't squeeze 110 players into a meeting room. So mm. that that was a positive and the unique opportunities, as I said, of, of getting um, connected with other coaches and the learnings that, that they brought for for me and the the rest of the coaching staff. It was very clear, I think, pretty quickly, there was going to be no sport for a long time. And outside of sport, Gregor, I've been involved with some other companies, organisations, and I felt at certain points motivation of the, of the workforce dip for a number of reasons. Can I ask you then, how did you keep your motivation going with no prospect of returning to train or play at that stage? And also your staff, because you're competitive animals. You could have been touring the world, you'd have been watching and being involved in sport, and there was none. So how did you keep your motivation going and that of your staff? Uh, personally, I'm um, having a routine, exercising a lot, um, having projects, whether they were to do with the home and family or to do with learning. They, they filled your days pretty quickly. There's so many books, so many podcasts, so many planning things you can do. There's never enough time. So that, that kept your mind busy. And I, and I really believe in exercise to keep the mental health side of it right and, and feeling good about what you've done during the day. And I, and I saw the same with, with our players and, and our staff that um, those with routine, those that were getting stuck into things with their families if they had them or, or exercise they thrived during this period we, we've got players that um, had never run outside of training sessions really and suddenly got into running 10ks and half marathons and, mm-hmm. and love feeling that brought to them but on the other hand there were players that didn't have that routine or didn't have that support network and, and did find it challenging at the beginning likewise for staff I, I believe that that our staff are, are very grateful of being involved in sport being involved in international sport and in jobs we love so th- there was a period where that wasn't happening and there was a lot of doubt about whether we would be playing in October, November. So as soon as the, the good news started coming that, that rugby was coming back, those negative feelings maybe that the staff had soon disappeared and we were looking forward to coaching again and doing our jobs again. And before I hand over to Matt again, Gregor, I found in all the teams I was associated with across the mainstream sports, which is football, cricket and rugby in the main, vast majority of players found their way of not just dealing with lockdown, but they came back in tremendous shape. Do you think players will be more aware of actually running their own lives now? Because sport had got very not not spoon feeding but we did there weren't many stones left unturned and looking after players well we, we had everything covered and measured everything do you think they'll be a little bit more self-sufficient now that they've had this period of managing themselves yes i agree 100 percent, and I, I believe that the time of the lockdown helped that I think if lockdown had only lasted a month, players would still have been getting regular communication and instruction from the coaches. But the fact it went on four months, they, they had to start to plan their own lives and probably weren't, weren't that keen on a, on a phone call every week um, once we got into the middle of lockdown and it was their lives. Um, 
that they had to take charge of. For some of them, it was an opportunity to get off the hamster wheel of professional sport and the intensity and pressures that bring and really recharge and, and rediscover that love of getting back to playing. For others, it was it was trying to make the most out of this time and being physically in great shape when the, when the return happened. So no, I think it's been a it's been a positive thing for most of the players. Obviously, some players, uh, not all players, are the same, but we should have more um, organised and, and adaptable players that can take control of their lives outside of what they um, go through being a, a professional sportsman and, and the structure and, and weekly schedules that they have to follow. Have you seen the same in your staff as well, Gregor? You, you mentioned the word adaptable and you know ownership. I think you know it's going to be my next question if your players have been like that but you've touched upon it there but is it seen seen the same with your staff have they maybe been more inquisitive and approach things in a, in a different way have, have you seen that at all yeah yeah certainly certainly in the coaching staff i think in the wider staff there, there's different focuses for example the the medical team have worked really hard during this period so they, they've not had a chance to either be on furlough or, or take a take a rest because they've been planning how, how to get back and make sure that we are covid proof uh, when we get back to our training mm-hmm. and there's been so much planning and, and meetings to go in to that but for, from the coaching staff who obviously were, were not back coaching yet I've seen that there's been a drive to learn so it's a combination of improving themselves each other as a coach but also being connected regularly with the players and with us as a coaching staff to share that learning I'll just give you an example of what one of our coaches after a few weeks of lockdown and he wanted to better inform himself around well-being and he, he, he wasn't a big reader but got a, got a couple of books on well-being and mm. read them very quickly signed up to an online course listened to podcasts and now he has experience um, in that area that will make him a better coach but also as he says it's making him a better parent Mm. looking at concepts and how to speak to people and connect and that he would never have known about before this period of lockdown again I'm not surprised to hear that but I'm delighted to hear that because I think I've I've heard it across a range of sports now Gregor about coaches who've gone away and and learnt things they simply didn't have the time or inclination to do before but going back to the rugby field because we all love the sport eventually and, and it finally is back from a coaching perspective again I know it's very early but have you been able to identify ways in which you maybe want to improve the way you play tactically from watching rugby in New Zealand and Australia and now after even just one weekend of the Gallagher Premiership? Yes, 100%. So it's, it's given all, all our coaches more time to think about the game and obviously the specific roles that we coach. Um, looking at, at the game that we want to play, that I, I've always set out to play and, and how we can make that better, how it brings the strengths of our, our players. But also, where's the game heading and what we can do to make the most players we have at our disposal with the change, potential change in the game. There have been law changes, or there's not so much law changes, but a different emphasis in the laws that have changed the way teams now have to play. We've had this opportunity, probably for the first time I can recall, of being able to watch a super rugby competition with no distraction. So as a coaching group, we watched every game, analysed it, met up on a a Monday after that, shared our clips, what was relevant, what could we learn from that. Whereas normally you're you're coaching, you're, you're watching other rugby, you can't sit down and just study what is a really high level of rugby with some of the best players and coaches in the world. We've also had specific projects with a club team in France and a club team in Japan uh, who have got some excellent coaches. So that was great to hear and see them analysing our game and obviously uh, for our point of view as well, studying what they do and seeing if that applies to our philosophy and how we can be better. You touched on tactical there and maybe getting away from COVID and lockdown specifically, I think, and maybe on to more, more of the broader role that you have. Is, is your job now just as much about leadership as it is about coaching? I know you surround yourself with some brilliant staff and naturally as a coach you you know you want to be on the field and having the influence there but it, it seems that head coaches think about leadership more and more as, as the seasons go on 
do you, do you think that is is your job just as much about leadership as it is about coaching these days? It, it always has been, but um, I think leadership uh, has changed over the years as well. So yes, you, your job is as a head coach, uh, as a leader, but the way you lead has definitely changed. The more and more experience I've been as a coach, the more I've seen how other teams have found success. Uh, and obviously the changing generational players that you know, we're working with. So I, I would say connecting is really important. Coaching is still important, but coaching isn't isn't the drills or the time you spend in the field all the time. It's about the game plan, about selling that game plan, mm-hmm. about building cohesion, clarity, and also about selection. So coaching could mean a number of things, and then leadership is a whole other world as well. And of all the many quotes I've seen and articles I've read like you, because all of us are just fascinated by the human element, Eddie Jones once said that 80% of a head coach's job is also about picking the right team. Do you think he's right? Gregor, or was that just Eddie Jones? And I'm sure he wouldn't want me saying this, and he's a guest on this series too. Or was that Eddie just being Eddie? Well, it's a, it's a big part of international rugby. More important, international rugby than club rugby, selecting the right team. But selecting the right team doesn't necessarily mean selecting the best players. It's about the, the understanding they have of, of the way you want the team to play, the understanding of each other and the cohesion that they have. So they, those are real crucial elements with the, the international game because we, we don't have the time to play pre-season games, to have six weeks of building a, a certain way of playing and, and various things that you can add week to week. We, we have to go into the first test match with, at best, two weeks of training, which would be five training sessions. And sometimes it's only a week build-up. So selection cuts a lot of corners. If you've got someone that can take on information really quickly, that has a good connection with his teammates so he knows what he's going to do, then you, you, you don't have to spend that much time coaching them and obviously we don't have that time to, to spend coaching them. So, so that role as a coach specifically, how, how is how is that evolving? Like you said, the leadership's always evolving and the role of coach is always evolving. I think you know, we, we're always trying to second guess and the topics we talk about sometimes is what is that? what does that coach of the future look like? A- any thoughts on that yourself? I mean, I know you try and adapt and you try and develop this, you know, personally, but do you look five years in advance, 10 years in advance? Do you think, well, that's that's how a coach is going to look differently then than it is now? Uh, I probably don't look look ahead. I, I more look at the, the experiences I've had and, and what, what, what's worked and when the things haven't worked out. Uh, how to make them better and learning from others as well and the top of their domains of what, what they're doing and whether that would apply to our team. I believe there's still fundamentals in, in coaching that will never change and that's are you the best person are you the best coaching team to develop a player individually and to improve a team and get success and that's what the players are looking for you first of all are you in front of me going to help me improve and help the team mm-hmm. win there's obviously different ways of, of doing that that don't just require the yeah the knowledge of of a certain type of game plan um, it's your communication skills how you connect how you persuade whether it's through a vision or this is this is going to lead to our success and above all you have to be authentic you could mm-hmm. have the best knowledge of the game but if if you are not authentic to who you are as a person players see through that very quickly you you can't fake it at the highest level so be true to yourself and that that probably means leaning on the strengths that you have and bringing them out but being adaptable enough to to understand that um, the relationship relationship between coaches and players is always evolving and has evolved a lot from five years ago and since I was playing 20 years ago. Gregor, can I ask you, if I may just take you back 12 months to the World Cup in Japan, which was a fabulous tournament. We can all remember it for different things. But looking back from your perspective, what then did the World Cup teach you as a leader and how do you reflect on that experience? Yeah, well, well firstly, it was a great experience for us as well um, as coaches and um, 
and the, the Scotland team just being involved in the World Cup. Uh, Japan is a wonderful country. People were so welcoming and uh, respectful. We, we we played in probably the most memorable game. Well, maybe if, you, if you're an English supporter, England New Zealand would be a memorable <laughs> game. But uh, the the game that against the host team who played outstandingly well throughout the tournament and had the whole country behind him. And it it was a it was a privilege to be involved in the World Cup and also that game. Despite the disappointments, um, you, you did realise you were part of something special in the history of our sport. But obviously we, we didn't achieve what we set out to do or, or get anyone near a potential in, in a couple of the games, Ireland and, and Japan. So that was disappointing. There was a huge amount of learning for us as a staff, for me as a, as a individual coach a lot of it was specific to the team so choices were made in selection preparation the game plan there were a few one-offs that probably will never come up again like that japan game where we had a, a three-day turnaround and then the night before the game was a typhoon that ripped through japan and a lot of it which meant we couldn't train that day but also there was a huge doubt whether the game would go ahead but there were lessons that um that we would um certainly in the, in the future change the way i would i would do things the build-up to the island game um, i didn't do a good enough job of getting the team ready mentally for that game and that was really disappointing because where we were with our our fitness um, where we were with our rugby we should have been much better going into that game and we just didn't get right things right emotionally and that comes down to me as a head coach well I didn't truthfully expect that answer so thank you and also it always reminds me that however many courses and books you read you can't write a manual on typhoons and games being postponed and would they go ahead in three game turnarounds and that's where we do our best learning but also can I ask you then Gregor because I know you're a competitive person that you don't play to the level you did and now coach and speak as you've just done without being this competitive animal how long did it take you then to recover from the disappointment in Japan despite the joy of being involved how long did it take you just to recover from from, from the setback and exiting the tournament at the group stage that's a good question I... I'd probably say, on one hand, I would say not long because I've learned um, being involved in international rugby that can't dwell on things because you have time between campaigns. And if you start to look back, it's not going to help you. It's not going to help the team and those around you. But but obviously, I was, I was hugely disappointed when you when you play for your country or you coach your country. It hurts more than playing at club level or coaching at club level. So yeah, it, it was disappointing. But there was still that feeling of how, how lucky were we to be involved in the World Cup to be coaching with Scott. Like, well, let's make sure if we get this opportunity again, if I get this opportunity again, that, that we're a better team for the experience. And I was determined that that was going to be the case. And, you know, the next challenge comes around really quickly. We had we had a challenge or had a challenge change up um, the coaching staff. So I was quickly out to, on a flight to Australia and New Zealand for a couple of days' visits. Um, I spoke to a lot of people, ex-coaches, players, um, people who are close to me just to to make sure that what I was seeing um, or I wasn't missing anything uh, and getting their feedback. And and also it was going to be a new team. We, I think it was three players retired. All three players had had more than 50 caps so for Scotland. Two of them had captained the country in the last 12 months. So it was it was a new start for the players' point of view. And we couldn't wait to get back into it and, and start that Six Nations again. Were there a few long dog walks on the, on the border territories when you got home just to yeah. clear the head? The, the dog walks, as you know, Michael, yep. are, are a great way to, to just think about things or not think about things at the time. And the dog didn't know whether you uh, you lost to Japan. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> and probably when when we came back, she was quite excited to see me. But within five minutes, that was it. Okay, please take me for a walk. Matt will allow me just to say this for a moment that through all my experience of the sport and all sorts of things in my life, I think I've learnt most, uh, heard most, taught most, and listened most with my old dog Shankly, who I said in a coaching course this weekend. He and I have probably racked up the best part of thirty-five thousand miles now, just walking and talking, either to myself or to him or to other coaches, people in sport, and it does give you that, as you say, that space to either think about things or more importantly not think about things absolutely i find the same with going on a run as well so both, both are important at that time's important you touched upon the um you know the, the game specifically where you felt you didn't prepare the team it, it seems in rugby maybe that the coach actually has less control um you know during the game than other sports you know players make more decisions for themselves and i guess you as a leader have to empower them to, to have that ownership i mean how, how do you prepare them for that you know coach them for that lead them for that so when they're in that moment they they're ready to make that big decision or you know take ownership of a situation. You're right, Matt. The coach isn't um, the reason for a team's success, and in our sport, obviously, has has less of a role given that we are not allowed to go on during times in the first half, the equivalent of basketball or um, or American football. And and the way that the rugby, but I can stick with our sport, the way that you have to be successful in rugby is making decisions on the field, not waiting for someone to tell you what to do up in the stand or on the sideline. So you have to create an environment that enables players, first of all, understand the, the game that we, we have to play to be successful, but also giving them the responsibility and the ownership to make decisions. And not just make decisions in 80 minutes at the, on a Saturday afternoon, but during the week. So you, you link in with your, your leadership group, you link in with the whole squad to get feedback on how we can shape the week better and even change the week if, um, from original plans. The, the other important element as well is the, the timeline of a week is really for us about handing over the game plan and the ownership of the 80 minutes on a Saturday as we go through the week. Begin the week, yes, the coaches have to do their jobs, whether to review the game or preview the opposition. Um, that's still uh, in the domain of coaches because it takes a lot of work and that would be too much for the players. But once that, that clarity and that information has been passed across, really we, we want to see our players leading on the field, leading in meetings. And by the time we come to Friday, Saturday, it's the players that are taking the training session, the, the final team run, and are doing the talking in the changing room because it's those those guys, the players, who will make those decisions um, at, at the weekend. I think that's a really interesting point there because some sports just wouldn't be used to handing that you know ownership over to the players, like you say, for the captain's run on a, on a Friday or Saturday. I mean, that's probably something that you, you know, you've been very used to through your playing career and, that, and, and now coaching, but literally, how, how, does, how does that look then? You know, there has to be an ultimate ultimately a lot of trust put in your in your leadership group as players there and, and then you know if you are handing it over as the days go by that, that must be you know like I said a lot of trust put in your players there yes but um and, and belief that they they know their stuff and they they care about the team and will put the preparation in but and and all my experiences coaching club or international level that the players have, have stepped up to the the plate on that as we move through the week um we don't want to be presenting to the players on a Thursday we want them to be presenting to each other and even changing meetings so they're not done in a meeting room. Uh, they're done over coffee and, and the coaches aren't there. And they go through the key points of what we've learned this week or what's important for this training session, what will be important for the weekend. And we, we get feedback. We can see from the other side of the room that's happening and just to reaffirm and, and check for that understanding. But the players are more than capable of doing that. 
and it unlocks unlocks leadership because you, when you work with a with a group of leaders, they tend to be a smaller group, four, four, five, six players. But in a team, there's there's fifteen players and and eight on the bench. So you you want other people in the, the team to feel they're able to talk and contribute because if they see something that will help the team win or something we need to change that's causing us problems, we've got to give them opportunities to to talk within their own group, but also to us as coaches. I used to love the Friday the best because um, the players used to present uh, in the meeting, going over key points. And then when we went into the training session, myself and the other coaches would watch it from a stand. But now Thursday is my favourite day because that's when uh, we, we encourage our players to, to lead the meetings. And just seeing them present is great. Mm-hmm. Hearing them talk about the things that we've introduced at the beginning of the week and seeing that team grow together, together that's that gives me more joy than a training session that goes without an error. Seeing the team grow uh, in your environment is, is is brilliant. And you know that the team will play better when they've got that ownership uh, on the Saturday. And Gregor, I was saying yesterday to, to Matt, I'm luckily, I'll say the word luckily, old enough to remember rugby before it went professional. And the Six Nations was just about the only highlight you found of the year because there was nothing else to watch in terms of rugby on TV. Uh, and now it's very professional and very structured. And do you think, if I look back 30, 40 years, that those players played with less fear of failure and making mistakes because it was just reported on a Sunday morning and it was joyous if Scotland beat Wales or if Wales beat England. Do you think players now, because of the level of scrutiny uh, and coverage, and we know that the coverage of sport has changed dramatically do you think players now may be more wary of trying things and making mistakes and having that fear of failure should they get absolutely criticized to the nth degree the day after a game i don't know i would say there's always the um risk of of being worried about failure and whether that's because the environment puts you under a lot of pressure that you have to perform and the coaches will be on your back if you make a mistake or you go on social media and uh, people are criticising you when you make a mistake. You can avoid that. Obviously, you would hope that your environment is not one of those where it's too demanding of you and you and you freeze up. That's not something that we uh, strive to do. But back back when I played, back in the amateur days, um, you still had a newspaper that if you wanted to read it would criticise you. You'd walk down the street, especially in the, in the Scottish borders, and someone would tell you, you know, that wasn't good enough or you're a joke. So it's I, I think it's always been there. Obviously now with social media, it's, it could be amplified and most of our players will, will be on um, social media. So it, it is a challenge for them to, to block that noise out and that distraction and take away any anxieties and fears they have during the week and be confident in themselves, confident uh, that they're going to go, go and play well. But that will be a continual challenge, uh, just like it was when I played or, or even before then. And I, I think even back then, we, we, we do look a little bit a sport back in amateur days through those tinted glasses um but coaching back then let's say is was less about connecting and um, empowerment than than it is now so there was other pressures that some coaches would put you under that made it as demanding and stressful as, as sport can be today this is quite an open admission that the, the greatest sporting trip i've ever been on and i've been in a few professionally but socially personally was the 97 lions tour which i believe you're part of and i remember arrive, arriving in cape town and watching the f- Watch, watching the first test the next day and I hadn't seen rugby played as quickly or as, in, or as with such intensity as that and I think I've I think since even since that tour I think that that almost set the the, the mold for the for the modern game of rugby today yeah well that was that was some experience um, <laughs> from, from a rugby point of view just just playing with quality of players we had in that on that tour the challenges we had going up against the best South African teams the, the rugby we played as well uh, for most of the tour was 
was superb attack. But when we got into the test, we we built a real strong defence too. It was the first time I experienced a defence coaching and spending more than just five minutes on defence. It, it ended up being 50% of our training sessions. And it was that, that defence that won us the test series. that We, we held our line and we, we forced a, a much bigger and probably on paper better better South African team to not winning uh, more than one test. And I just felt that it's the first time I've been on a, on a sporting tour where the, the supporters and, and, and the team were almost as one. We, we felt it made a difference anyway, but the, the, the singing, the, the sheer power of sport took over during that and I toured for more than just the test matches. We did midweek stuff as well, and it, it became more than just a sports tour, I think. Absolutely. And, and it was a pleasant surprise to us because we, we we didn't expect that. Now, now you know going to the Lions tour, there's going to be thousands of supporters from Britain and Ireland going across, 30,000, 40,000 making it out to New Zealand. But back then, we'd, we'd seen a few at the midweek games, but it was that first test in Cape Town where I think there was eight or 9,000, and you could hear them, you could see, see them, obviously the red jerseys and, and singing away. That, that gave us a huge boost playing the world champions in their own territory that we've got supporters out there wanting us to win. It showed me that sport, as I keep saying until my last breath, it is the most important of the unimportant things. So I shall, I shall stop memory lane on that point, Greg. I'll hand you back to Matt. I think I might have to book a flight out to, to the Lions tour in South Africa next year. To be honest, after, after hearing that. <laughs> just, just want to go back to what you said about you know the, the environment you're creating within within the week leading up to a game, Gregor. And um, I know you're a bit of a lifelong learner, and you know personally really enjoyed you know, hearing about you studying the other sports and the other leaders, but. How, how would you bring that to life and implement that within within the environment and the organisation within the team in terms of you know what does that learning process like when you're looking outside the organisation and looking to other people and then you're trying to implement these new things with the team with your coaching staff and with the players you know how how, did, how does that happen and, and how do you how do you implement that? Uh, it, it varies. I think that the first thing is you you reflect, um, you take notes and you share those notes with the rest of your, your staff because there might be specifics that are more relevant for an assistant coach, a head of S&C, nutritionist, medical team that you picked up uh, on one of your learning experiences than, than is specific for, for you as a head coach. And some learning experiences are, are obviously more relevant than others that you can apply what you've learned to do a better team, enhance your environment. Some are stored away in the back of your mind for, for future challenges but I, but also always believe that going out and learning um, is, is the only way you can get get better so when you don't get the opportunity to learn by doing by coaching um, then try and learn from the best one one good example of how that process could work would be uh, the time I spent with Roberto Martinez hmm. which is about three four years ago now uh, he'd moved from club football coaching and most recently at Everton into the the Belgian national job. And I was going on a, a similar um, journey. I'd been coaching at Glasgow for five years and mm. I just started the job with Scotland. So there's a lot of relevant learning from his transition of how to build cohesion, clarity, get the game plan embedded when you only have three days preparation mm. like um, international football teams have. So we, we I shared that learning with the rest of the group. And there were some that were about which players to select, to get better cohesion, some about team room design, how to get the players spending more time with it each other and how to do that organically uh, there was just a real intent of creating a, a togetherness an environment that got everybody working towards the same goal and we, we've been really fortunate that, that Roberto and his coaching staff uh, did, a, did a Zoom call with us during lockdown obviously since then he's, he's had tremendous success uh, with the World Cup and evolving all the time as, as a coach and a, a coaching group so no, that, that was a really good um, 
useful, relevant learning and really appreciate the time he gave up that day. You mentioned there about Roberto Martinez, and I've worked in football for a number of years, Gregor, coaching courses in three different clubs with some extraordinary leaders, including Gareth, who I know you've seen at leaders' conferences. It gets sometimes criticised because it, football can do silly things, which just leaves you just sad at some of the behaviour, sometimes on or off the pitch. But you mentioned Martinez. Have you learned from other people in football about how they lead teams and the, and the sheer, just the, the way in which they lead their groups or their organisations or even their countries? Yes, and I'm a football fan, a Liverpool fan, which has been a great, great year for um, to be a Liverpool fan, and not just a year, the last few years. But when I'm watching sport now, I'm I'm, I'm more specific around watching the the managers, how they talk in the press, pre-match press conferences, um, after after games, connection with players, and there's so many good ones out there. Um, I got Gareth Southgate. Uh, I, really, I was so impressed with him and England during the World Cup. Did a lot of reading, and we did, we did a project as a as a coaching team just on on England and what they did off the field as much as on the field. It's a good thing for coaches nowadays. Is there's so much out there you could access every press conference that Jurgen Klopp has done. There's documentaries on him. There's obviously the way he he is with his players as you're watching live. I would love to love to go and um, spend some time with, with him in Liverpool. I, I did get the, the real good fortune of uh, spending um, some time with Pep Guardiola in Manchester City, so that, that was inspirational. Uh, and I'd been out of Barcelona two or three years before, so well, football's a sport that I, w- I would look to, but, but so, is, so is rugby league, so is the AFL. American football, basketball. We feel very privileged to, to get access to some of these these top clubs and you get excellent learning from, from each visit. And even during this podcast, Greg, if I can say it myself, having been involved in cricket recently down at the Aegeus Bowl and hopefully back to sport more next week, the sheer privilege of being involved and, dare I say, even making a living out of, of, of sport is is something I've, I have I never took for granted. I, I, I took nothing for granted before, but certainly during and post-COVID, it, it's reminded me of the sheer beauty of being involved in, in professional sport. And on that note, can I just ask you, has there been one guilty pleasure you've had during lockdown in terms of a film, a book, a programme, a documentary, which was nothing to do with rugby even, but something which just captured your imagination, which you would recommend someone to watch or read or listen to when we've got a bit more time over the summer? Probably not one that stood out. I think I've, I've gone through a lot of the Netflix documentaries like everyone else. Last Dance, Lance Armstrong, what else did we, we watch early on? Seems such a long time ago since we got through those those Netflix documentaries. But then the Last Dance was was one that the whole family uh, watched, which was great. And there's, there's just so much out there with podcasts, with books, um, with great behind-the-scenes documentaries. Actually, at the beginning of lockdown, I looked at my bookshelf and I thought, I've got so many books I still have to read. And the Kindle is piling up now with the, the latest book on well-being or coaching or leadership. But first thing I did was go back to one of my, my first coaching books that inspired me to get in coaching. And I thought, right, let's go back and look at the notes I made there. So I found that really enjoyable. So one of them was Alex Ferguson's um, The Will to Win Diary, which I remember reading in the mid-90s and thinking, that's not the perception I had of Alex Ferguson as a coach. He was the, someone that empowered his team. He wanted them to go and express themselves and the amount of connections you did with other people around the staff were more important than the actual tactics and very different than the impression you got of who he was as someone that uh, was had to give people the hairdryer treatment. So th- those old books um, are still very relevant and I enjoy, enjoy reading them. So uh, I'll, ne- I'll need another couple of lockdowns to get through all the other ones I've got piled up though. Well, I'm intrigued you say 
the book you read in the 90s because a, a coach told me in a leaders roundtable recently that he thinks that you can learn so much from the coaches of yesteryear who didn't have digital communication, who didn't have podcasts, who didn't have PowerPoint, and they just use their use of language, their use of tone, and just connecting with people on a very real level. And on that note, Gregor, on behalf of leaders, I can't thank you enough for your time this afternoon. And But above all, I'm glad you're back at Murrayfield. I know that you'll be only one of about 30 people in a 67,000-seater stadium, but it's the start of rugby again in Scotland, and, and I hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much for your time this afternoon. You're welcome. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, no, thank you, Gregor. And uh, thank you, Michael. A pleasure to chat to you both. Hopefully it won't be too long until we next catch up in person as well, Gregor. So my best to the rest of the team up in Scotland. That's it for another episode. But if you've enjoyed these podcasts, then you can find many more like it on the Leaders Content Hub, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred platform. Check us out at Leaders underscore Insight on Twitter as well. And we'll post all of our content on there for you to follow. Gregor and his staff at Scotland Rugby Union have been members of the Leaders Performance Institute for a number of years and one of the most active organisations in our network. If you want to do the same and access content, virtual learning, events and also engage with 700 members from 150 teams in 25 countries and 20 sports worldwide, then head over to leadersinsport.com forward slash performance to learn more about the home of total high performance. Once again, thank you to John, Luke and all the content team behind the scenes for making this all possible. Hopefully you're all still enjoying these conversations. We certainly are. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon. <laughs>